The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hello, I'm Arlo White, league commentator for NBC's coverage of the Premier League. I'm here to tell you about NBC Sports Inside the Mind series, now becoming part of the Premier League on NBC podcast. Inside the Mind features interviews with the biggest names in football. Every episode can now be watched exclusively on the NBC Sports YouTube channel. But we're now making every interview available in audio form as part of the Premier League on NBC podcast. So, subscribe for free to the Premier League on NBC podcast on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you listen to your podcasts and binge listen to all of our Inside the Mind interviews. Plus, don't forget to tune in on weekends at 7 a.m. Eastern for Premier League mornings on NBC SL. He's Alan Shearer and he takes our breath away. Newcastle United legend and England legend. Watch and enjoy. Alan Shearer, Premier League record goalscorer. Does that still sound very nice to you? I never ever tire of hearing that, Steve. Very proud of it. It's what I went to work for, if you can call it work. It's what I set out to do. It's what I love doing. That feeling of scoring goals is just sensational. Here comes Alan Shearer. It's Shearer for Newcastle! Alan Shearer in front of the Gallagher's. 201 goals for Newcastle United. Alan Shearer. He is Newcastle's record goal scorer. He is the local hero. The buzz that you get from the crowd, from your teammates, from knowing that you've done your job uh, is just incredible. And from the very first time I did it, when I was a 17-year-old kid on my debut at Southampton, to the very last time I did it for Newcastle for, with a penalty at Sunderland, I loved every single goal that I scored. And then to finish and see myself top scorer at the Premier League gives me great satisfaction and I hope it can stay that way for many years. <laughs> <laughs> the, the goal hunger, the obsession, if you like, with goals, was, was that as soon as you started kicking one of these balls? Yeah, I was... Uh, I mean, I, I just... I was born into a family that loved football. My dad loved football. He supported Newcastle. I since found out. He always told me he was great, but I don't think he was. He just threw a ball at my feet as soon as I could walk, like many other kids in uh, in the northeast. I was no different. Get out in the garden, go and play football, and I loved it. And I was one of these kids where I thought I could play in every position. I wanted to take the throw-ins, the corners, and score every time that I could. And that's when I sort of got the the feel and the buzz of scoring goals. And I just wanted more and more and more. And when you glance at that trophy behind yeah. us what's the first thought that comes into mind when you get that close to it again I wish we could have won it or Newcastle or Blackburn a few more times we, I won it once with that incredible team and manager Kenny Daglish and owner uh, and coach Jack Walker and Ray Harford it was an incredible time uh, a great season for little old Blackburn to come in and take the big boys on Man United and Liverpool and all of that and beat them um, it was an incredible achievement and loved it before we get into that, where, where did the journey really begin? Now, you mentioned 17 at Southampton, but how, how did you end up at Southampton from a boy from the North East? 
Uh, back in those days, in the 80s, that you, you could have every club could have a scout in whatever city they, uh, they wanted, and I could go on trial to any club that um, thought I was half decent. I went to West Brom, went on to Newcastle, and to, uh, to Southampton. I liked what I saw and felt at, at Southampton. There was a few of us from the northeast went down there in the school holidays. And I used to think I was uh, the bee's knees, and I went down to Southampton where everyone came together into the pot, if you like, and I thought, oh, I've got to work hard here because I'm not one of the best ones. And that sort of was a shock to me and hurt me a bit because in Newcastle I was deemed as one of the better players. And I looked at Southampton's record of producing young kids and giving them a chance. And Southampton asked me to sign schoolboy forms at 14. And then it was touch and go whether they're going to offer me an apprenticeship to go and live down there. And I remember on my very last game as a schoolboy, I scored a hat-trick. And I think that tipped the balance to Fulham to offer me a two-year apprenticeship, which I thought was incredible. So I left home at 15. And that's when the hard work really began. That was probably one of the best decisions I ever made, really, to, to leave home, to grow up, to look after myself, fend for myself, go into digs and start my journey in the big footballing world. I got the opportunity to make my debut as a 17-year-old. I'd been scoring goals in the youth team and a couple in the reserves. And then one Saturday we were playing Arsenal and I was in the squad and Danny Wallace, who was one of the forwards at the time, failed a fitness test. And the manager at the time, Chris Nichols, said to me at around about 11 o'clock, half 10 on the Saturday morning, you're in, you're playing. And I thought, wow, I'm starting in a first-team game for the very first time. My parents didn't have time, or family or friends didn't have time to come from Newcastle down to Southampton because it was so late in the day. So I went out and was so lucky enough to score a hat-trick in my very first start and against Arsenal, and it was just an incredible feeling. Chris Nickel got me in the next morning to clean the kit and the boots just to keep me feet on the ground, um, which was typical Southampton. And that was a key for me. I think there was probably better technical players than I was, but from what I lacked in that, I sort of made up in hard work and dedication and finishing and everything else. And if I was a challenge in front of me, then I would face it head on. And that's how it all got started and how I fell in love with, uh, with football. And all the other things that you went on to achieve in your career that we've touched on, that night when you went to bed as a 17-year-old, having scored a debut on your first team appearance, yeah. what, what was that feeling like compared to everything else that you... I mean, that must have been the, the feeling you dreamt of kicking around a field in the northeast. Well, I didn't know at the time, and I think the, st the record still stands as I was the, the youngest player still to score a hat-trick in the top-flight league. Um, I took it off Jimmy Greaves, and that still stands now. It was just incredible because all of a sudden I was a kid who was playing on a council estate for nothing in front of no-one, and now all of a sudden I'm playing in front of thousands in the old first division for Southampton and I'm scoring goals and I just, wow, how good is this? I loved it. It was just incredible. How lucky am I? But that was only the beginning and I think the good part of me going down to Southampton was one, I knew that if I was good enough I would get a chance and two, everything would, they would keep me level. Um, they wouldn't let me get carried away because Southampton had been in that position a million times with giving youngsters a chance and bringing them, them through and I just thought, wow, how lucky am I? And that's when I just wanted more and more and more and I wanted to score goals. And I love that adrenaline rush that you get of scoring a goal. It's just incredible. It's an unbelievable feeling. Did you come to a point where you'd outgrown Southampton then that you needed to 
to go on to another challenge, another level. Yeah, I think that's probably the correct way of saying things. There was, I'd scored goals in that last season. I'd scored goals for um, for England under twenty ones, so I sort of had announced myself in the in the big world of football, if if you like. People were looking at me, and I knew that. And then the opportunity came that um, there was an offer from Blackburn. I went to talk to uh, to Kenny Daglish um, up in the northwest. I knew Ray Harford, who was the coach at the time, because he was the coach uh, with the England under 21s who had um, who had been playing with and scoring goals. And then I met Jack Walker. Uh, so I put Kenny, Jack Walker, and Ray Harford together. Then that was going to be successful. I was never in doubt that they had this dream, Jack, with Jack Walker's wealth and his passion for his football club, and with the experience of Kenny and Ray. I just thought we're onto something here, um, and I loved what I heard, what Kenny had said, and then that was it. The, it was just a matter of them agreeing a fee with uh, with Southampton. Had a couple of calls from other football clubs, um, but nothing materialised. Manchester United. So uh, it was. There was only ever one choice that I had to uh, to make. I was either going to stay at Southampton or go because the others didn't match what uh, Blackburn had paid on the transfer fee. Nothing to do with wages, and that that was the move. I decided to go to Blackburn, and then um, I think that was a it was a very very good decision. I loved my time at Blackburn. What we had at Blackburn was something very very special in terms of we might not have been the best team technical wise or ability wise. But we made up for that in team spirit. We had some unbelievable characters. And we got off to a great start the first season. Alan Wright. There's Shearer! It is 7-1. A second for Shearer. Second season, we could have won the Premier League. We could have won that trophy. Perhaps should have. But we were lacking it in experience. But our third season, 94-95, we won it. We tried our best to throw it away. <laughs> <laughs> we had the might of Manchester United chasing us. 61 goals for the season and counting. Manchester United. Up go the heads, and it falls for Cole! He's got five! And Manchester United lead by nine. Yes, nine goals that last sort of two or three weeks was was big pressure uh, because, as I said, we were we didn't have the experience to go with uh, with our determination, but we we sort of fell over the line at Anfield, knowing that um, Manchester United hadn't got the result they needed at Upton Park, West Ham. Manchester United fall at the final hurdle, and then we won that uh, we won that trophy, which was just an, an unbelievable feeling as well. That night before the Liverpool game, I had the subplot of Kane Dalglish going back to Anfield. Yeah. Did you sleep much? Did you? No, was it well, I, hadn't, I hadn't slept much for the, for the past three or four weeks because it was it was becoming more and more difficult. Uh, as I said, so Alex was putting huge pressure on us as a football club, which he had done to others in the past and others after, using all of his experience. Uh, but it was it was I think it was meant to be because, as I said, it was such a weird feeling going to Anfield because it was. Liverpool wanted us to win the league because they didn't want Man United to win the league. Liverpool wanted us to win the league because of um, one of their old favourites, possibly one of the best, their best favourite, Kenny Daglish. But we got in the lead, I scored. Good ball, Alan Shearer, magnificently done! 
just when it was needed most. And then we sort of fell apart. Liverpool scored a couple of late goals and I thought, that's it, we've blown it. But then all of a sudden the crowd were going mad, which told us the result at Upton Park had gone in our favour. And Man United hadn't won. Um, and then the league was ours. We deserved it. When Man United had too many trophies anyway. <laughs> <laughs> when the whistle went and, and you eventually, after Tim Sherwood had lifted that, you got your hands on it, what was that feeling like, that you'd gone to Blackburn with a dream and it had suddenly become reality? Well, it was, there was, there was, you, you, whatever you do, you always get one or two doubters. And there was people constantly telling me that I'd sort of made the wrong decision in going to Blackburn and we would never win the Premier League. Uh, so it was, it was nice to, to, to win it for that reason. It was nice to win it because we had some great lads. As I said, we had, a, we had an unbelievable team spirit that pulled us over the, uh, pulled us over the line. Um, not without problems. We had injuries. We had everything else to, uh, to cope with. So, but it was, it was a brilliant, brilliant feeling. And from the outside, there's a, there's a myth that Blackburn had everything because they had all the money. It wasn't always like that, though, was it, in terms of facilities and, and what you had at... Not at all. When I, when I first went to Blackburn, bearing in mind I was Britain's most expensive player, I'd been brought up at, uh, at Southampton where you sort of put your kit on the side and it was all cleaned after being an, an apprentice. And I went to Blackburn and I sort of trained for the very first time, took my kit off and left it on the, uh, on the side. And everyone was looking at me and said, what's the problem? We take our kit home to wash here. You've got to wash it yourself. <laughs> I thought, what? Uh, this is incredible. So, yeah, put my kit in my bag and what have you and took it home and the missus had to wash it at, uh, at home. So that was a bit of an eye-opener for me. Yeah, we didn't have our own training ground. We used to meet at the ground uh, every single day, change, jump in our cars, and, and then wherever there was a piece of grass available, that's, that's what we used to do in the first 18 months at Blackburn. And did that help, that team spirit you're Absolutely, about? yeah. I mean... It was it was unusual for me coming from Southampton doing doing that, but then yeah, you're right. It sort of, that sort of helped bond us and get us together as a team. We used to laugh and joke about where we're training today. We used to go. Sometimes we were training on a field, and there used to be we had to stop training at times because there was a funeral cars coming through the middle of the park where we had to stop, literally stop and wait for the cars to to pass through. So. To do what we did and to achieve what we did um, with all that. I know Jack had the money, but you, what was it, Leicester, without having the finances, probably are the only team that haven't spent huge money that haven't that won the Premier League. So every team that has won the Premier League has, has had money to spend, and that was no different with Blackburn. And you overcame one of the great Premier League teams, didn't you, in Manchester United, to do it? I mean, yeah, we... Um, we, we, we knew that they were our biggest rivals. Um, they had been there before, um, they had the experience of their manager um, and had some unbelievable players. So, yeah, it was, um, it was a good rivalry that we had for a good few years. Um, you had a lot of different characters in that squad. Um, one of them, NBC's very own Graham Lasso, who yeah. was one of the younger brigade at the time, one yeah. of the single boys. What, what was he like at the time, Alan? It was great for me personally because um, he came in um, with that left foot of his, whether he was playing on the left side of midfield or left back, the way he used to get forward and whip those, uh, whip those balls in, in for me. We had a system at Blackburn that was tailor-made for any forward, particularly for a game like myself or Mike Newell or Chris Sutton, whoever it, whoever it was, is that on the left side we had Wilcox and Lasseau, 
on the right side, sometimes we had uh, Stuart Ripley and whoever it was at, uh, at right back, was at Henningberg at times and, and different players. But as forwards, we knew what they were going to do, whether Graham or Wilcox. If they got into that position wide, I knew that that ball was coming in. And particularly Graham and Jason on that side were absolutely fantastic at it. Made back by Shearer, through by Batty, and it was Peacock who cleared. Now Lasso. Back into the middle, and a goal from Shearer! The master striker has done it again. So, Graham was a great lad, um, trained very, very hard, brilliant professional. Uh, never gave the manager any uh, any issues. Um, had injuries, come back from a serious injury, um, and did very well. Always articulate. You could see him as a top broadcaster across the United States. Well, back I wouldn't then. go. I wouldn't go that far, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> but he was a great lad. We all got him very well. With him. How did the Blackburn story come to an end for you then? Why, why did you leave Blackburn in the end? We'd won the league a year before and then Kenny Daglish decided that he was going to go upstairs and be a director of football and then Ray Harford took over as, uh, as manager and we always knew Ray as our coach and was brilliant at it, one of the best that I've ever had. And then when we won the league, Ray, I think, made a mistake in saying to us all, instead of signing other players... He's going to give us all the same opportunity to go and prove ourselves again. When I think when you're at your strongest, you have to strengthen your team. And we were very strong at that point. We could have brought different players in. It, it probably wasn't for the want of trying. Um, we had been linked with Dugerry, we'd been linked with Zidane, I think. It didn't materialise and we went ahead in that following season with the same team and I think that was a big mistake. We'd finished, I don't know what it was, maybe 6th or 7th, I think, that, uh, that year. And I just thought it wasn't what it was meant to be. We hadn't kicked on and then I had the opportunity to, um, to go and talk to other clubs. Uh, and I had a, a great relationship with Jack Walker. And Jack had said, he's never going to put any clause in my contract about me leaving or a set price up. He said his word was his honour. If I ever wanted to leave, then go and see him, go and chat to him. Uh, and he would uh, do his best to make that happen. He made it, I went to see him and he made it very, very difficult, um, which I sort of, I got and I understood and I respected because I knew that he desperately didn't want me to leave Blackburn after four incredible years. But then he sort of said to me, right, uh, yes, you can go, but the fee is £15 million and it's £15 million cash I want it up front. And I thought, well, there's not one club in the world could, could do that at the time in 1996. That would make me the world's most expensive player. So in the end, I understood that he did a deal with Newcastle um, that they paid seven and a half on signature and seven and a half six months or a year later, but they, they had to pay the interest that he was losing on the seven and a half that he didn't get up front. Um, that was the businessman in Jack Walker. I spoke to Man United, I spoke to Sir Alex, I spoke to Kevin Keegan and it was an incredibly tough situation because I always wanted to go back home to play for my club, Newcastle United, and wear the number nine shirt. But I also knew that I was probably guaranteed trophies if I had gone to, to Manchester United. Um, Jack made me an offer to stay at Blackburn and offered the players' manager's job at that time as well, which obviously it was a non-starter for me. But that's how much he wanted to keep me at Blackburn. And then I just thought, you know what? I'm going to go home. I'm going back to my club, the club I supported as a boy, the club I was desperate to have the number nine shirt, the club that my parents, my dad had supported. 
It was my dream to play at, uh, at St James's Park in front of the Gallagher end. If I had the same decision to make now, I'd make exactly the same decision because I had it 10 incredible years here. To go back there as the world's most expensive player, to have the 17 or 18,000 people on my arrival when I went there was just unbelievable. Um, and I achieved my dream. And people will say to me, well, you didn't win any trophies. Well, I get that and understand that. But I scored 206 goals, became their record goal scorer, I have a statue. And it was my dream and my club. And I would say to anyone, whatever club you support, you'd want to play for them. It wasn't as if I was going back to a club that was struggling. They'd just lost a 12-point lead the season before I, uh, I went there. So I was, I was going there to hopefully be that final piece in the, uh, in the jigsaw. But it's, it didn't sort of work out like that. And Kevin had left six months after I signed Kevin Keegan. Still don't know the reasons why, but probably got nothing to do with me. Um, and then that was it. We, Newcastle was starting to build again. But ten, ten unbelievable years there. It was just incredible. Before we get into those ten dream years of, of black and white, at the time, pretty much whoever Sir Alex Ferguson phoned signed. And you didn't. How did that... I mean, he can't have taken that well. I mean, nobody says no to Manchester United, Alan. <laughs> Well, I went, I went for talks and uh, I saw Kevin uh, in the morning. We were at talks in Cheshire. They were in David Platt's mother-in-law's house, believe it or not, <laughs> because we were trying to find a secret location where no one would find us. So I met Kevin there in the morning and talks had gone really well. And then I'd met Sir Alex there in the afternoon. And I always remember Sir Alex's first words when he came in was... He, he knew that I'd spoken... I was going to talk to Kevin and his first words were... Have I seen you first or am I seeing you second? And I said, well, I saw Kevin this morning and I won't repeat what he said, but it was something along the lines, well, I've got no chance then. Because he always felt that first impressions sort of last and he wanted to see me first. But I don't think that was, uh, was a huge factor in it um, at all. It was just the pull of my club, of the club that I stood on the terraces on the Gallagher end, that I just felt it was right and, and proper for me to go home. So... I'd mulled it over for a couple of days. Even went house hunting in, in Manchester. Uh, found a house that we that we loved and liked. And then uh, a few days later, I just said to the family, you know what, I'm going home. And, and Kevin was on his way over to the Far East on a pre-season tour with Newcastle and decided not to fly with the rest of the team uh, and asked me if I could have a, one more meeting with him before I made my final decision. And I went to the meeting in Manchester of all places again in, uh, in the hotel and I thought that's it I'm signing and I rang the family up and said I'm not coming home I went that day I got a taxi to pick up a bag where I lived deliver it to the uh, to the airport pick my bag up and went and signed and went on a pre-season trip and then flew back into Newcastle and I never ever went back to that house was that to just get away as far away from Alex Ferguson as possible? But I also didn't want to do the packing as well. <laughs> but I had one last job to do before I flew um, and had my medical. I thought, I have to ring him. I have to ring uh, Sir Alex and tell him that I'm, not, uh, that I'm not signing. So I got his number and dialed and he never answered. I left a message. <laughs> never rang back? Never rang back. <laughs> I asked him if he could call me, left a message and he never rang me back. <laughs> not surprising. No. But we get on great now. Great. So that day when 18,000 people turned up and you were the new number nine, uh, were you pinching yourself? Oh, I just couldn't. I couldn't believe it. From this scruffy little kid playing on the cobbled streets in, in Newcastle uh, to now the world's most expensive player. 
as a 25-year-old, going to play for my club with a number nine on. And then, as I said, with, with you, you mentioned about the 17 or 18,000 people that were there. Um, they probably should have all been at school. It was pouring and rain, I remember it. Um, well, how come they weren't at work or at school or wherever, I don't know, um, because it was a late afternoon. And I just thought, wow, this is, uh, give me more of this. And the, all the questions were about being the world's most expensive player, £15 million. Uh, about the pressure, how are you going to cope with it? I absolutely loved it, that everyone was looking at me, everyone expected and wanted me to score goals. And I just thought, yeah, bring it on, I love all this, it's magnificent. And that first goal? in black and white. It was probably as, as special as the last one, was it? The, the yeah, it wasn't. I mean, I, I played in the charity shield. We got stuffed off Man United. We went to Everton away, got beaten. And I thought, thinking, goodness me, what have I done here? What decision have I made here? And then that midweek game, that night game, Wimbledon at St James's Park, I just thought the free kick and I just thought, you know what, get on it, hit it. And it just felt right. I don't know why. I just It just felt right. And I thought, sort of picked my spot. And I remember that feeling when I knew it was going in the back of the net, curling into the corner. And that was it, I was away, my first goal in a number nine shirt, wow. And after that, how do you reflect? Do you think you should have been closer to getting that with Newcastle? Was a frustration? Yeah, it was frustration, it was hard at times. We were pretty close to it. We were close to FA Cups. What was missing? A bit of experience on the big stage. We had tons of ability some great characters um, we had an unbelievable fan base we'll always have an unbelievable fan base Newcastle but we just lacked that little bit of know-how and in terms of going for the FA Cups we were up against Manchester United who were going for the treble 99 and then we were up against Arsenal who were going for the double and it just wasn't meant to be I, always, I remember the Arsenal game at Wembley we were 1-0 down and I hit the post with a shot uh, we also hit the bar from Dabby's ass, I think, from a corner, and I just thought, it's not meant to be, it's not, it's not going to happen. And it didn't happen. It wasn't for the want to try. And you play, with, play for so many different characters up there. I mean, you've mentioned Kevin Keegan, who eventually came back. Sir Bobby Robson, of course, yeah. almost got, got glory as well, didn't he? Sir Bobby was, uh, was just unbelievable because he came in in very difficult circumstances. He came in when Newcastle were rock bottom. We'd gone from there right down to there. and We're in serious danger of being relegated until they brought the wealth of experience of, of Sir Bobby in. And he was a genius at man management, getting the best out of players, putting an arm around a player or, or having strong words with a player. He knew what made a player tick, whether, he were, whether you were a 17-year-old boy just coming into the game or whether you were a seasoned professional 34-year-old, he knew how to get the best out of you, and that was such a strong point of his. And he understood, obviously, the club, like yourself. Do you feel that's critical up there in some ways? It'll give you a head start, because they love their own, uh, and they love supporting their own, and if you have a sniff of success, then they, obviously they'll back you to the, uh, to the Hilton. And Bobby had unbelievable success. When you, I mean, look at some of the clubs that he'd, he'd managed, managed England, and then for him to decide to come back to Newcastle when it was very, very tough, and for him to take us from rock bottom. And his first home game, we beat Sheffield 8, Sheffield Wednesday 8. I hadn't scored for a while. My face was on the floor. Uh, he knew that. I was struggling. And he said to me, 
One, you've got to play with a smile on your face. Too much of a frown. And two, you've got to start running towards the goal. Because everything you're coming towards, defenders love that. He said, defenders hate you running the other way towards goal. Dyer. Shearer! It's a first-half hat-trick! It was just something as simple as that. Because the previous management I was really struggling with. They, 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 Rude wanted me out, Rude Hullet. He wanted me out of Newcastle. But, Bobby, it was just simple like that. And then in the first home game, we scored eight, I scored five, and back to scoring goals. Only one player in Premier League history, Andy Cole, has ever scored five goals in the same game. Here's Alan Shearer. Now he's done it too. Within a few seasons, he'd taken us from bottom of the Premier League into the Champions League, and then great nights and whatever, Inter Milan and all these places. Just unbelievable. You mentioned Rude Hullet there. There were tough times in your ten years at Newcastle. Did you ever think, I'm out here, this, this, yeah, this dream's come to an end? With Rude I did, yeah. I knew from day one that me and Rude were going to clash. Again, I mean, we, we get on great now, so and he, and he won't mind me saying it, but um, once he, he came in and we sort of shook hands and I, I could tell straight away that he was he, he was going to get me out at some stage. Um, we sort of banished every senior player at, at Newcastle, whether it was me, Rob Lee, Warren Barton, Stuart Pearce, John Barnes. He wanted to start afresh, which is fine. Every manager has that uh, the decision to make, but there's ways of doing it, uh, and I didn't think he was doing it in the, in the right and respectful way. And he gambled one night against the biggest rivals, Sunderland, and he gambled and left me out, left me on the bench, and big Duncan Ferguson, which was I thought was, was a crazy decision. He didn't tell me at all beforehand, he just put it on the board and I found out on the team sheet an hour and a half before the game, uh, which I thought wasn't respectful at all. And then we were beaten against Sunderland on that, on that night. In comes the cross. Oh, here's Phillips, he's got a chance! Blocked out by Wright. Second time! Phillips does score! And silences all but one small portion of St James's Park. And then I thought I'd be first into the training ground the next morning to go and have it out with them. And I took the kids to school early. Half an hour early, you've got to go to... Dad has to go to a meeting. Um, and I sort of dropped them off and screeched into the training ground and went barging into his office and little did I know that big Duncan had beat me to it he was in there before me tearing strips off the wall <laughs> so um, I had to come back out again and leave Dunk to say what he had to say and, and um, then I went in after him and, but he was um, sort of sacked the next morning Was it always your ideal plan that it turned out that that was your last club you wanted to finish at Newcastle nothing after that <sighs> That wasn't a plan of mine, um, but I realised after a few years that that was going to be the case, that uh, once Rude had gone and Bobby had come in and got us smiling again and uh, everything else, then um, playing football to a, a standard that we wanted to and competing again, then I knew then that uh, it was that would be my uh, be my last uh, my last club. Graham Souness came in uh, after that and was, was great with the senior players, particularly me because I'd had three serious injuries by that stage of my career and I couldn't sort of train every day and Graham was very understanding of, uh, of, of that um, but then 
the more I scored, the more people started talking about the record, Jackie Milburn's record, which had stood for so many years and was my dad's hero. So, uh, and I was going to retire a year early, uh, earlier, and then they sort of convinced me to stay on. Was that just because of the demands on the body? Yeah, Do you know I, as a player? I knew, I knew, I mean, I, I retired from England early because I, I'd had serious injuries. I knew that I couldn't uh, keep up doing both jobs, as in giving my best I knew that eventually one would give. Obviously, I couldn't retire from football then. Um, so retiring from England, getting the extra years out of out of my body, because you, you, I knew my body better than anyone else. You, you know that. Um, and I knew that I couldn't train every single day. Um, and the managers, and Graham Souness was, was great at that. But, but then they offered me the contract, extra year contract and said, look, you're not going to play every game. But he, he wanted my experience to lean on to stay around and sort of help him. I ended up playing most of the games anyway. and I'd got a couple of goals and I was getting nearer and nearer to, to Jackie's record. And then um, on that day, Saturday afternoon, it was, it was just meant to be to score at the Gallagher end. Here comes Alan Shearer. It's Shearer for Newcastle! Alan Shearer in front of the Gallagher's. 201 goals for Newcastle United break his record which was just uh, I mean it was a staggering feeling um, the adrenaline that was pumping through my body must have been ridiculous because I remember the hairs standing up on the back of my neck for 15 or 20 minutes after I sort of scored the crowd were going mad and as I said going, it was an incredibly proud moment for me for that lad who had started so early to that lad now was Newcastle's record goal scorer and when you go to the games because I know you do when you're not working and you walk past that statue do you, do you still do a sort of double take I do, yeah. I mean, I just find it surreal and weird, really. It's like, yeah. Uh, I'm just a normal kid who loved football, who wanted to be the very best that I could be, and then to to end up with what I've achieved at Newcastle, uh, to have won that at Blackburn, to be the Premier League's top scorer, to be Newcastle's top scorer, um, and to have a statue. I am one hell of a lucky boy. I've lived the dream. I would have played football if I didn't get paid to play football. I still pay, uh, played. So I've been unbelievably lucky. And the obvious question is, when you, when you played that game, last game for Newcastle, you'd got the extra year, what was your dream then, once you couldn't kick a football anymore? I always thought and hoped and wanted that I would go into management. My plan was to do the media for two or three years and then see if any opportunities came along. And then the opportunity to manage Newcastle came along. And I couldn't turn it down. Newcastle were in the mire. They were on the verge of being relegated with eight games left and I got the call. So at this stage, you're sitting in a TV studio mm. with a very good life, watching yeah. football, getting well paid, yeah. and your club then calls you again yeah, to they, save them. They say, can you come in for the last eight games? Bear in mind, I was the fourth manager that season with eight games to go, um, fourth, uh, to try and give it a go. And I thought, I have to, I have to do it. I can't say no. Um, so I went in. The BBC very kindly said to me that you can have that time off. And I'm thinking, well, I'm not really going to come back because if it, if it goes as well as I want and hope, then I'll probably stay in the management job for, for a long time. Here comes the Messiah, Alan Shearer, the club's all-time record goal scorer. But it didn't. It was an eye-opener. Um, and going in there for the, uh, for the eight games, I loved it. Despite what had happened, it didn't work out. We got relegated. Newcastle United and the Premier League. This 
is where it ends. Heartbreak for Alan Shearer, brought in as a potential saviour, and they will start next season in the championship. But for various reasons, it didn't work out. <laughs> you know, I'm seeing various with a frown on my face. Is that broken promises, Al? Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I thought I was going to be the manager and, and had agreed a deal to do that. And uh, for whatever reason, that never materialised. And does that still hurt you to this day? Because you achieved the dream of 10 years as a player and you only got that little taste as a manager. It hurt me for several reasons, yeah, because... I expected the same standards that I gave when I was a player still and I sort of didn't get that back. But then to agree to be the manager and from that to be taken away, then, yeah, that, that sort of hurt. And we, we missed out by one point, I think it was, in the end. But it, was, it wasn't for the want of trying. Uh, and I loved, I mean, I loved getting into the office at 7, 7.30. I loved being there every single minute of every day for eight weeks. But it... It wasn't meant, as I said, it wasn't meant to be. It wasn't that I didn't try or work hard enough. Now, I know you spoke to a couple of clubs after that. Did, did that put you off management? No, it didn't. I still felt as if I was going to be a manager, and I had a couple of uh, talks with, uh, with other football clubs. But what I'd find in the talks was is that I'd agree something, and then two days later I'd go for more talks, and then that was sort of, well, no, we didn't agree that. And so I just thought... What's the point? <laughs> People were telling me one thing and then th those things two days later had changed. Well, we can't do that again. We've got to do it this way. And I just thought, you know what? Being the media side of things where there's obviously a lot less stress and pressure, etc., to go with it, I just thought, no, I'm going to stick with that. I, I, I love what I'm doing. I love... I still have on the football aspect of things. I watch more games now than I've ever done. And I just thought, you know what, I'm going to get my head down, I'm going to work extremely hard on the media side of things, the punditry, and, and continue to do that. And I'm pleased I did it because I, I, I now really enjoy doing it. I now really enjoy having that life, having watching football every single weekend, still every single week and analysing it. But I also realised that you have, I had to have a, a stronger opinion and work on the analytical side of things um, because... You have to study, you have to do your prep work and you have to understand and you have to be critical. Uh, and I realised that if I was going to stay in this side of the game, you have to be that. Well, I for one was delighted that you did and I'm sure all the viewers around the world are as well. Is that something you've had to work particularly hard at since you stopped playing? I mean, if, you've, yeah. if you watch the tape of one of your first ones oh, yeah. to now... <laughs> yeah. Because some viewers don't, don't appreciate that, do they? Yeah, Is when I first went into it, I was... I mean, I did, just didn't want to criticise because I thought I was going to go back into the game. So I just sort of always sat on the fence and yes, you know, and there was, there was no... I was reluctant to give an opinion because I thought I'm going to look stupid here giving a strong opinion and then going back into the game. But then I, I realised that once I decided to make that decision, then you've got to work very, very hard in, in, in seeing what you, you're going to say and understanding and being critical and praising. But you have, to, you have to do that, yeah. And in terms of you never say never in football, is it never? Or in two or three years' time, if there's a different owner at Newcastle and they ring you up? Do you no, I don't, I don't think any... I've been out of the game now for such a, a long time that... Um, it's closed book. Closed book as far as... Uh, we can't get rid of concerned. it. You can't, definitely can't get rid of me. You've <laughs> got to put up with me for a little while yet. And in terms of Newcastle, I touched on the owner there. Do they need a change of owner yeah. to get back to getting near that in, in like your great teams? Absolutely, yeah. 
we'd, we'd dearly like an owner who sort of understood the football club and give us a chance to be the best the football club can be. Not necessarily challenging for that, but being the best the football club can, can be. And I don't think we have been for a number of years. Um, we've, we've been relegated. We've not taken any interest in cup competitions. And the fans just want to know that their club is trying to achieve the best they can. And I don't think Newcastle have been for a number of years. That's a, a big frustration to the whole fan base, isn't it? Which has even been seen this season with seats empty and yeah. protests and all the rest of it. Yeah, it's been very difficult for Steve Bruce coming in. I mean, I'm, I'm a good friend of Steve's and Steve asked me my opinion on whether he should take the job or not. My opinion for him was no. Why are you going to be any different to Rafa Benitez or Kevin Keegan or under this owner? But I also understood the pull of Newcastle because I've been there myself because he is a Geordie and he regretted turning it down all those years ago and you always think that you can be the person that can change things. And if there's one person I would dearly love to have success with being the manager of Newcastle, it would be my friend Steve Bruce. But it's going to be very, very difficult for him and he knows that because of the situation that he's found himself in. He's gone into a very toxic situation in terms of the vast majority of fans don't want the owner there. They want a different owner. They want change. But I hope he can ride that storm and I hope he can guide Newcastle to safety. Already out of one cup competition, uh, I hope we can give it a good go in the FA Cup because the fans deserve it. They've, they turn up week in, week out, with their black and white shirts on, buying the merchandise, and they've been starved of success. Alan, we've really enjoyed going down memory lane. Thank you very much. Love it. Thank you. For more episodes of Inside the Mind, check out the NBC Sports YouTube channel or you can subscribe to the Premier League on NBC podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Plus, make sure you tune in on weekends at 7 a.m. Eastern for Premier League mornings on NBC SN. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack.